Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Marco. Sean. Beep, beep. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Are you calling <laughs> me from space? Are you, uh... I'm calling you from uh, from the road. Ah, that was a beep, beep. I thought it was more of a beep, beep, like a satellite going by. <laughs> or, you know? was... or the road runner. Uh, <laughs> or, or the road runner. <laughs> no, the road runner could, could fit very well here because uh, there's a chat on the road to Las Vegas. So usually we would do it in the car, both leaving from La from LA, so we go through the desert. This time it's not going to happen, but uh, our road you know what it makes in the me... desert. But you know, the road render makes me think about you know you always try a lot of different things. The latest technology with Acme, if you think about mm -hmm. the cartoon, right? And uh, sometimes it fails. Sometimes they have the opposite results that what he <laughs> what he wants to achieve. So I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I think you're reading me. I think, uh, you, I think, I think you know me well. I think you're on to you're on to something there. Right. And uh I mean for me you just painted the the picture of hacker summer camp in general. I mean that that's black hat in a nutshell and DEFCON and the whole the whole shooting match. Yep. Where everybody comes together to to show what they've done that made something do something that it wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> exactly. Usually, oh, usually for good purposes. Um, Hopefully they don't blow themselves up. That's right. The coyote that's right. And always does. <laughs> that's right. But enough about uh, Roadrunners and Wiley Coyotes and, and uh, the, the beep beep sounds that they make. Um, I'm thrilled to have Frederick hiding on. Frederick, thanks for uh, being patient as Marco and I uh, pretend to have fun with each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. And uh, you, you have a session at Black Hat, which is why we're chatting with you. And it's it's on a topic that's on on top of mind for a lot of people, and they may not realize why, which is why we why we're going to be chatting with you today. Um, before we get into the world of AI and large language models, and your your comparison to human models, um, a few words about who you are, Frederick, uh, some of the things you work on and uh, your, your background, if you could, please. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I'm, uh, I'm currently a research fellow in uh, computer science at Harvard University in the last year of my, my PhD. So I'm, I'm also a PhD student from uh, the Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden, uh, where, I, where I started my PhD. I'm born in Sweden as well. I focused, uh, you know, I, I've been researching cybersecurity for the last yeah, five, six years. And um, in the early that, early days of my PhD, I focused a lot on more technical penetration testing, uh, created a framework for how to pen test IoT devices. I analyzed a lot of IoT devices that has really bad security. Did a pretty cool study where we tested devices from you know, households with uh, common embedded devices, such as vacuum cleaners, refrigerators. And we found 17 CVEs in 22 devices. It's pretty hard, pretty many CVEs. Some of them are critical, rank you know, nine to eight or 10 and these kind of things. So it's a pretty fun study. And we also then found out that some of these, you know, devices that everyone has, people use them all over the world, and smart door locks and pretty severe things. We can break them, you know, enter the house. Uh, so, so basically, I guess a lot of the focus of my, uh, my last years has been to find out all the, the vulnerabilities that exist out there. So sort of poke at them and 
something I'm really interested in how how the changing landscape that we really have in technology sort of affects mobility. It goes fast in a lot of different ways. Everything's getting connected. We worked a lot with smart cities too, which is pretty cool. Uh, here in the US now, we, I am part of investigating some so smart cities, uh, also health devices. You know, everything's getting connected. Everything from new air sensors to, uh, to health devices, and there's a massive amount of connectivity, and it's pretty dangerous because a lot of that connectivity is uh, you know, sometimes devices that are cheap, not produced in the US or in the country. They're not entirely secure. We find it in so many cases, and this. The sort of problem is that the nature of embedded devices is often that you know, they're producing mass quantity. You don't just want one air sensor, for example, if you're in a city. You want a lot of them. And yes, I guess I do, and that's that produces problems. I think it's really interesting to see, both from a technical perspective, how can you how can you sort of prove that these devices are vulnerable? A lot of people do that, and I myself have done it too. And of course, from a bigger perspective, how can you how, how do you solve this? I'm pretty invested now in the. the Joe Biden's uh, Security Act that came earlier this year, uh, secure by default and secure by design. It's a 12-point guideline for some best practices, and the best practices are actually pretty good. So I'm also starting a project with uh, the Harvard Business School where we sort of try to investigate how this is implemented in practice. Because that's uh, I think if, if people would follow these uh, code guidelines, things would be really good. The European Union had a similar framework uh, earlier this year that they released, and I think the, these are really big acts and what. You know, me and my department have been saying for a lot of years is that we are pretty bad at creating you know, secure <laughs> software and everyone says it right and that, that's that's the main problem and that's well, sort I, of I, yeah i was gonna say well, i have to have you back on to to dig into to yeah. those acts and the and the uh the, the guides because i think it, it's an important discussion um that obviously shift left and moving things over before yeah. taking care of the the problem before it becomes a problem is important um, I want to want to bring us to the, the the topic at hand, which is yeah large language models and comparing that to human human models. And I'm I'm going to use a use a story. So I don't know if it was one of the first. It certainly felt like one of the first um, connected door locks on the market. I bought many 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 years ago, and being a security guy, I was worried about. The networking and the vulnerability that that device had but where i made my final decision was in the physical human-based interaction of that device meaning that you when you physically lock a door it works a certain way and it feels a certain way and it, you can you can tell it latches the connection of that device to the physical door wasn't quite right and i felt that it would fail physically from a human perspective um, and there are some other things in there as well uh, using it from a human perspective more so i felt that failure was more likely than even the risk of of a breach and, and that device being compromised digitally so my point of all of this is we're going to compare the two but i have a sneaking Sneaky suspicion that uh, they're still combined. The humans part of it at all at all times. So maybe how we a, a moment to describe large language models. What what does that mean for folks who are listening who may not be familiar with it? And maybe a quick comparison uh, to the human centric models that uh, that folks might be a little more familiar with. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, could I take one minute before that sort of time? Because oh, yeah. I was digressing a bit, but I'd love to just tie into why I'm going to speak. Oh, yeah. Why I speak oh, yeah. Like, I think this is so interesting. But 
basically, after all these pen tests, they also worked pretty close to industry. And I think this is pretty relevant to mention. I, I met a lot of companies, and you, they, of course, think it's pretty cool to do these pen tests. But many organizations said that, hey, your work is awesome, but we don't really care because our problem is our users, our employees. They always made up, mess up. We can't, we can't really, you know, even if we make the physical security really good, we can't make the users do the right thing. The users are often the weakest link. And I began slowly researching that, looking into cybersecurity training, you know, more social engineering attacks. And that's, uh, that's you know, from my perspective, turned out to be a really big problem for a lot of companies. And I, that's what made me interested in that. And that was brings us to Blackett. And we'll talk about how, how large language models can be used to exploit users. And that's, I just want to mention too, it's a collaborative effort. I don't do this alone. I work with a great team. So I have, um, uh, I guess I can mention them after the description about language models, because that makes sense. But so yeah, what are language models and why, why, why are they interesting here? So as I mentioned, a lot of cyber attacks focus on humans. A lot of cyber attacks, of course, focus on technical system, but that's, that's all well and done. Uh, the problem here is that there's something called large language models, and they're neural networks. And basically, they're a data model that's been trained on huge data sets. So it's a model that learns, and it learns by analyzing vast amounts of data. And what happens when it analyzes all this data is that it gets really, really good at creating context that appears real. You can say that it learns, if you so will. So it learns how to create content that appears to be created by a human, uh, specifically textual content for large language models. And what's important here to note, the learn appears real. The content is not necessarily real. You know, in my research team, we did some tests, or a lot of researchers did, is to just try to you know, do something with the research, and the research always cite things. It's pretty fun if you ask one of these language models to, uh, to cite things. Maybe you ask, you know, what's, what's a DDoS attack? And it tells you what a DDoS attack is, then you tell them, OK, give me the citation for this. Give me the, the references here so I can cite it. And it gives you a really good reference for it. It looks perfect. But when you look into that reference, it's complete bullshit. It's false. And that's sort of that's one really interesting thing with large language models. And you know, sometimes it creates content that is real. Oftentimes it is real. But what they do is they create content that appears to be real. And, and that's really, really important to remember. And that's, you know, I'm going to talk about my team in a second, but that's why we used to brainstorm. We thought about, hey, how can this be used? And it, it can be used for physical hacking. I've I done that myself too. But it's really interesting when it comes to hacking humans because when hackers exploit employees or users or humans, they usually do it by, you know, to try to show them something that appears real and the user fall, falls, falls for it and they trick it. So, of course, the hypothesis is that large language models are really good at tricking humans because they create content that appears real and, uh, you know, then humans fall for it. That's a little intro about large language models. It's more than little because you just uh, highlight the fact that the key in hacking human is appears to be real. Either you want to <laughs> pretend to be someone, you knock on the door with a certain uh, uniform and people believe what they see. And so in the end, if it looks real, maybe we think that the, the model is actually thinking, even if it really just put in one word after, after another anyway. But, but what it really matters is the, the result of this. So I'd like to know, when you were running this comparison, and I'm sure you were looking at the way that uh, the attackers can use this. So it's so good to pretend to be real that obviously it's a big asset for cyber criminals. So give us some example of what you're gonna be discussing and what the research find out about this. I mean, is it really more effective than, than the human manipulation when you do it with the, with the machine? 
Yeah, that's that's a really good question. There's there's some things uh, some things I want to highlight with that. So one thing is that it is really good at creating content that appears real. But another thing that's worth to mention is that it's also really easy to do this. So when you interact with language models, you usually only have to write one sentence. For example, create a phishing email targeting uh, Harvard students who are frequent members of the Malkin Athletic Center, which is the gym on campus. And that's, it's not hard to write that. You can write it in pretty bad English, but it's still OK. But when you write that sentence, you're going to get a really good phishing email that, you know, it, it could have a call to action, for example, press this link to get a free month's membership. And you know, why is this interesting? It's interesting because a lot of the phishing emails traditionally up to this point for the last couple of decades, phishing has been around for a long time, they're pretty bad. And when we think about a phishing email, sometimes you think about the Nigerian prince scam. There's someone saying, hey, you know, your grandmother died and you have a billion dollars inheritance. And it's very obvious false. And there's some, look, there, there's some you know, benefits with that too, but overall, there's a lot of really bad phishing emails out there. And my, my hypothesis is that, that that will change. From now on, there will only be very good phishing emails because it makes no sense to create an email from yourself. And that's that's a big difference. Like I don't think we understand how big of a difference that is because phishing emails are very easy to send. It doesn't really cost anything. You have to write the email, but when you have the email, you just send it. Um, you know, it doesn't cost anything to send an email except for a minimal you know, bandwidth and so forth. And Imagine yeah, just that phishing emails are still efficient. You know, pe people wouldn't use it if they weren't efficient. Everyone, of course, thinks you, know, you and I will never fall for it because they're stupid, but some people fall for them. But you know, even the most phishing emails are pretty bad today, they're still efficient. So imagine what everyone, like, it doesn't matter if you're a native English speaker, you almost don't even have to speak English. You can create a native sounding email in seconds that are highly targeting and it's pretty efficient. So you know, I think the ease of access is is a very strong point here that it's going to be super easy to create large scale, not only phishing attack, but what we call spear phishing. And spear phishing is a, is a targeted phishing attack. Instead of just sending random emails, maybe they target me as a blackhead speaker. Say, hey, create a create an email to a, a blackhead speaker saying that you know he he has to register in this link in order to uh, get this hotel reimbursement. That's a very targeted email. It's very easy to write that prompt, and you know the language model will create a super good email. It looks realistic, and you know maybe I would even fall for it. So, I think that's that's one of the points I want to highlight that they are they make it so easy, which is very dangerous. And so let's talk a little bit about um, spotting these yeah. because, I mean, we we have a hard enough time as individuals, um, not not recognizing that that this yeah. is an attack. Uh, asking us to click on a link. Organizations have a hard time determining whether something is real and, and should go to its destination or not. Yeah. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking even things like uh, business email compromise, which is a little more uh, more along the lines of a, <clears throat> of a spearfish uh, attack, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, are, are we going to find ourselves in a situation where it, it's hard to spot these things and and because it's so easy there's going to be so many that that where we might may have only had to identify and block 10 yesterday we have 10,000 to block today yeah Sean that, that's a perfect point and yeah I really believe we will uh, you're hitting the the nail perfectly there I think there will be a massive amount uh, yeah even more than there is today I met one interesting professor who said something Theoretical, they will never be here in practice, I think. But if we just made every email cost $0 0.001 to send, 
all this would go away because it would be, it'd be infeasible. That will never happen. People want to send free emails, but it's free to send. It takes one second to create. Everyone can do it. And it's a you know, perfect English email. Yeah, I, I really believe there will be a, a bomb of emails that are very hard to spot. Can you can you tell me about the the process though? Because I, I think it's probably easy for most to see the body of the email getting yeah. created. And then that yeah. naturally the subject line for the email. You mentioned yeah. the call to action yeah. with with a link. Um is that is that a manually connected thing or is the or is the LLM creating that link as well? Is it going out and sourcing? The, the, the phishing uh, payload for for the bad actor. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, the, the from address, the to address. Um, yeah. If it's a business email compromise, it's using maybe a slightly different uh, domain name that looks identical to the real one that it's coming from. It, can it get down to the, that level and are there other things in like metadata and things like that that it, that it can help tweak to help it bypass detection? Yeah, that, that's super good. And like, I, I actually really like that question. And that's something that I'm currently in or my new research looking into. And I like to call it like the, the phishing kill chain or whatever. In cyber, you often call it the cyber kill chain, which is a bunch of steps to, to hack something. But it's a chain of stuff, right? You you don't only want to create the email, but before that, there's a first step, which is you want to collect some background information. You, you scrape some data. And that doesn't have to be hard. But you want just a few data points of the user. And that, that makes a massive difference. You know, do I live in Sweden? Do I live in America? Do I, am I a student or do I work at Amazon or whatever? And just these, everyone has you know, big, big digital footprints online. So first you want to collect the data, just a few points. Then you want to create the email. Then you want to create a call to action. And as I said, all these things can actually be automated. And what I really would like to do is I want to pick out all of these things and see which is the most feasible to stop because this will be automated in, you know, Fishing bots. It's going to be super easy. And yeah, like you can already write to, to an arbitrary large language model. Hey, create you know create a language page in you know, in Python using you know, React, whatever you want, whatever language you want. Almost create a language, uh, create a landing page that you know, collects the the IP address of the user. That's not so interesting, but maybe create a landing page that you know, prompts the user to to log in to uh, to enter their company's uh, new uh, job portal, whatever. You know, that's easy. So you, what you can even do is that you know you can collect some background information. Then maybe you see that hey, this person just uploaded to LinkedIn that they started a job at Google two weeks ago. Perfect. Language model takes that information and it says, hey, create a create a language or a landing page for new Google employees. Uh, ask them to to register to get all the company benefits. Paste it in the link. Create a phishing email with that. Sending it out. Participant presses the link. They see this landing page to enter their information. The, once again, this is easy to do. You can automate this so that everyone, what would have taken months to do, can take seconds to do uh, in these targeted attacks. And everything, the whole the whole chain can be automated. And even you know, to, a, to a future point, when the person enters this web page, then they can enter to maybe a chatbot. And, and that's what you know the language models are best at, to talk with you. So that you talk with this person maybe. And you, you can do this in all kinds of use cases. And it's really there's a bunch of stud, studies I did some before, but you know, trying to make people spot fake web pages that's almost impossible. If you take you know Amazon and you change one letter, it's so hard to recognize because we just don't see these kind of things. So, yeah, it can be automated. I would definitely like to just pick out every layer, just five phases or whatever you want to say in this process. See where can we stop it? Because some of them will be really hard to stop, but maybe some of them we can stop to 
make this automated chain impossible, at least harder. This is going to be very easy if we don't add roadblocks. I think we need to add some, some roadblocks here. All right, so let's talk about that, and I'm sure that's where you guys are going to go into when you do the presentation. But I'm kind of curious, you know, is there always like, first there is a technology, we're all excited about it, and then we figure it out, and this is the history of humanity, that, hey, we can use this hammer not just to nail something, but yeah. to kill someone or you know, <laughs> to do other things. And so, you know, all of a sudden, these models are from really cool to very dangerous. And then eventually we say, you know what, maybe more technology. We need a bigger hammer to slam the small hammer. My yeah. point is, we as, I say we because we are on the good side, I think, yeah. I hope, um, <laughs> we're not the villain. So what do the, the, the cybersecurity protector can do with this now that it's in the hand of a very creative cyber criminal mind? Then how do we take it back and say, well, we can still use this technology to detect when something happened or to block it? Where are we with that? I mean, are you guys going to cover some of this angle? That's an awesome question. I really like you saying that. And that's to some degree the most important thing to ask. And we will for sure. Basically, my presentation or our presentation with Blackett will be divided into two parts. You know, how can AI be used to hack us? And how can AI be used to help us from being hacked? And I think it's really interesting to cover this. And also, I want to sort of follow up to what you say and mention you know, some positive notes because sometimes these days AI discussions are really sort of doom and gloom. They're pretty negative. And you know, I want to try to shed sort of clear the fog around that a little bit too and say, that, and there's there's a lot of uncertainties. We don't know what happened, but you know, AI is a tool, just like it's a hammer or whatever tool you have. It can be used for bad and for good. There's you know, so many fantastic use cases with AI. So, like, I really don't want my talk to be you know, something that says AI is bad. We should you know, be afraid of it or whatever. But AI is a tool. It's a very interesting tool. One of the fastest you know, growing and evolving tools I ever seen. But it's a tool that can be used for bad and for good. And we did find out it can be used for quite a lot of bad things. We also found out it can be used for a lot of good things. And, and that's actually one of the in, more interesting parts. And primarily, we investigated two, two things. How can AI and specifically large, large language models be used to uh, detect phishing emails? Not just detect them, but detect the intent of the attacker. And that's something we, we often focus on. The intent is really interesting because we already have really good spam filters. All, all the emails have them. And a lot of research has been done in this area, too both by industries and academia. How can we improve the spam filters with the large language models? And the spam filters are fairly good. They block out a lot of a lot of content. And that's awesome. And, th and that's something that I really want to highlight, that yeah, all these, it's a race basically between the bad guys and the good guys. And the bad guys try to use the AI to create good phishing emails. The good guys try to use them to create good spam filters in different ways. And what we have investigated a little bit is not just to create a good spam filter, because a lot of people do that and they do it well, but I'd like a more granular spam filter. I can say not just this looks like a, a bad email, but it's like, hey, this look at, looks like an email that tries to get you to uh, you know, get a gift card. Uh, so you should be a little bit careful because X, Y, Z. And some of the models, there are a bunch of different large language models. And some of them, and not everyone, but some of these vendors, they were really good at not just you know, finding the correct intent. And that's really hard to do, but they do it pretty well. And also giving recommended actions. So for example, one email we, we fed to a language model and say, hey, here's an email. What do you think is the intent of this email? And then the model, and this is pretty cool. This is a good email that looks like a legit, you know, legit email offering you a gift card at the store. And then uh, the, the language model say, hey, this, the intent of this email appears to be a phishing email. On the front, 
it, uh, it tries to make you get a gift card, but we believe it really tries to fish you because of X, Y, and Z. And I think that's super cool that they can do that because that's quite sophisticated. And then they also say, hey, if you really want this gift card, you might want to go to the official page of this company and check whether the offer is valid. And if you don't find any information there, send an email to the contact page of this company and see if the gift card is valid. I mean, that's really good advice. I, I don't think I could give better advice than that. And I should be some kind of expert in this area, but that's, you know, so that's, that's, uh, that's quite impressive. So there's a lot of really good use cases. And that's, that's something we're investigating to not just have this binary way because you know binary classification is good in saying you know, this is spam this is not spam or malicious non-malicious but language models gives us a way to do this in a, in a much more detailed way uh, well, i'm gonna I go like back that. To oh, sorry Sean, just a quick yeah because it, it, it really kind of made a little light you know light bulb blink in my head because it's like yeah. as you said like if you use it not just to automatically block everything but to actually educate the user as you go and it's like hey before you do this how about that or this yeah. this, this seems a little suspicious uh what about you do this before you actually yeah. act on that and i think it could become the very human element that comes into play to educate them instead of yeah. just say here's the easy button to protect you from everything sorry sean yeah. just my mind going there no i mean the the cool thing is that there's a lot of opportunity to think of new ways to to leverage this technology and i and uh i want to bring it back to your one of the very first points you made which was how easy it was or is yeah to just write a simple query or prompt right yeah. and I, I think that's the value of this in defense where today we're trying to build massive filter lists and and all of these algorithms to try to find context and behavior and all these things that perhaps a, sim a simple question yeah <laughs> as something comes in um if i see if, if it's heading toward this particular group is it x y and z and i'm, I'm not going to try to pretend to be smart here but i guess the point is a query or a prompt to look at things as they're happening, perhaps with the ability to look deeper into into the contents based on its its learning uh, as an LLM, can help yeah. identify things that no filter and no algorithm outside of an LLM could ever figure out. So I want to uh, we're, we're coming up close to uh, our time here today, and uh, and uh, our our car to Vegas is going to run out of gas. <laughs> we don't. Uh, I'm joking, of course, but what I want to do, I mean, you have, you have some cool uh, folks joining you on stage. Uh, Bruce Schneier, of course, many folks know Rune Vish, uh, Vishwanath and Jeremy Bernstein. Uh, the four of you get to talk GPT-3, GPT-4, and human models, uh, all in the context of uh, the things we talked about today. Um, that's at uh, that's on Wednesday the 9th, 1020. Yeah. Uh, level three South Seas CD for folks who know where that is. Um, maybe a, a quick recap from you or summary from you of the session. What, what do you hope people to walk away with after spending that time with you on Wednesday? Yeah, that makes sense. And I really want to sort of uh, throw back what you said there and just give a highlight to, to the team because that's, this is really created by everyone. Uh, and uh, Jeremy uh, is a close friend and a postdoc at MIT in neural networks. He really is an expert at uh, an expert from the machine learning perspective. All of this, 
And yeah, Bruce Schneier, he's, uh, he's of course a security expert, but he also wrote a book uh, released earlier this year called The Hacker's Mind, which among other things he mentions, you know, how emerging technologies are changing the hacker landscape to some degree in a way. And that sort of plays well into the presentation. And Aaron, Aaron wrote a book and uh, released it last year called The Weakest Link, which talks about phishing and why phishing is so successful. So like all of our combined effort really goes into this presentation. I have some expertise in, fit, in you know, phishing and, and uh, hacking also. So the, I really want to highlight how this is a combination of all our works. And yeah, what, what I want people to, uh, to come away with um, first of all, I want to give some sort of specifics to this, and I really try to do it because I think AI is super interesting, large language models, and so much talk about it now. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's you know, some people say a lot of things, and then some people don't really believe them. I want to try to you know, give some concrete information and say, hey, we actually tried this. We knew everything can happen in the future. I, I think it's pretty fun to you know, sort of pretend you know, to just look into the future, see what will happen, what can happen. But, what we did here is say, okay, what can we do? Like everything is super cool, but if we really take the best AI models out there, the best human model out there, how do they fare? Like how, where are we right now? And one thing I also I like to highlight with that is that in this type of research field, which is quite rare, honestly, but when you get some results these days, the results are more or less already obsolete because it goes so fast. And that's why I'm gonna blend, you know, some of our results from the earlier studies with the work we do right now and the sort of new results we're getting, but, basically just give some clarity on you know where are we like regardless of all the talk and the hype and these things what is the exact capabilities right now and what can we expect that this will lead to in the leaf in the near future and the further away future i love it and um marco loves when i say one more question because hmm. you, you made a point on charging a fraction of a of a penny a fraction of a of a dollar yeah. for sending emails that's that's the delivery mechanism which to your point i don't think we're actually gonna charge for mail email delivery but i've seen extremes in the use of the llm technologies where in some instances it's completely free and then if you try to get advanced with it 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 can actually cost a lot of money yeah. <laughs> so i'm wondering um very quickly if any of the four of you have any any thoughts on the the economics of this as a way to perhaps control some of the threat that it brings and and I don't know if that impacts then the, the ability to counter measure some of these things as well. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And I personally I don't think we have focused too much on it because the problem is that some of these models are already able to to download open source, so to speak. So you can just download them, have them local and it's very expensive to train them, but uh, running them is, is not very expensive, which means that you know, it's going to be pretty easy to just run these queries and get the results. And it's hard to sort of monitor strain is what you could do. And especially it's hard to you know, add monetary implications that makes it hard for criminals to use them, but that could make it possible for other people to use it like you can. But it, it's I think that's pretty hard. There's definitely, you know, you could definitely do it, but I don't have an answer from the top of my mind of how to do that in a good way. Um, but it is a cool point, and I'll definitely think of it more of it. And I was driven by Mark and I were having a conversation yesterday about. Uh, yeah, what I was thinking is except that people go into crime because they're actually making good money. It may not last. <laughs> so if, yeah. if there is somebody that has the budget to pay the extra, he's probably not yeah. a regular user. But <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that's that's true, actually. So, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, cybercrime is good money these days. So that's uh, that's yeah. definitely a problem. We're we're not actually telling you to go there. We're doing the opposite <laughs> here. Just want to, you know, that's true. Anyway, I'm I'm excited to to follow this conversation that you guys yep. are going to have, and uh, uh, definitely relevant. Uh, we're talking about that all the time for, for yeah. the good and the bad. Yep, great panel, great topic at a great event, of course, and uh, hope everybody enjoys your session, enjoys chatting with you, and uh, meeting the rest of your uh, rest of your panel, and uh, obviously, hopefully folks are thinking a bit more about this topic and uh that would be good we'll join you to to hear each of your thoughts on it so uh thanks everybody for listening to this thanks frederick for uh for sharing your your thoughts on this topic and uh for putting that that session together of course everybody listening to us uh we have a lot coming from black hat this year and hacker summer camp and uh, you can follow it all on itspmagazine.com forward slash bhusa. And uh, more chats on the road, keynotes, speakers, panelists, you got it. It's, it's like all going to be there. Links to that will be in the show notes along with uh, Frederick's and team's uh, presentation and other stuff from Black Hat. So keep well, everybody. Have fun uh, with AI uh, responsibly. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Frederick. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.